the back. Ooh. I spilled some ink on mommy's rug. I made Tommy eat a bug. Bought some gum with a penny slug. Somebody snitched on me. Oh, I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Mommy and daddy are mad. I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Cause I ain't been nothing but that. And now. It's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Boeuf Bourguignon, French beef stew in red wine. We're going to serve it with braised onions and mushrooms and a wine dark sauce. It's a perfectly delicious dish. Well, we could put in a little more tomato paste or a little more thyme. In this case, we're fortunately find it's just right. Now for the thickening of it. Now we want to get our pan hot and we're going to saute it in this first until it's browned and then we're going to put it in this pot in which we're going to cook it in the oven. Now this is going to go in a 300 and 25 oven and it should cook very, very slowly, just at the bare simmer. And once it's in, except for checking the oven to make sure that it isn't bubbling and boiling, you don't have to look at it anymore. Then all let the sauce drain out, and then we simply put the stew back into the casserole. There. flavor of the onions and the beef to all blend themselves with the stew. That's going a little too hard, so I'll put it inside. There. About two or three minutes, if you have it in the icebox, you heat it up very slowly and baste the meat with the sauce. And then, and then you cover it and, and simmer it very slowly for about two or three minutes until everything is tender and hot through. Well, now this is ready to serve right now. Hello, this is Corey Jean, and you're listening to Eat It and Beat It on the Two True Freaks Network. And just remember, do whatever comes first. Welcome to Eat It, a podcast about food. I'm Good Saint Dick, and I'm a <laughs> fat fuck who likes food. Ho, 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 ho. And I'm here with my co-host, Jib Letts. And I like lumps. <laughs> lumps in my gravy. Lovely lady lumps. Lady lumps, lumpy gravy. Merry <laughs> Christmas, everyone. Our first official eat it christmas special we've made it i mean you you can't you you can't say that you have made it until you have your first clip show and you have your first christmas special i don't think there's been a single two true freaks clip show no 
but in the in the yeah in the history of two true freaks yeah. can you, you made, believe it you haven't made it until you've had a clip show and a christmas special oh we've had christmas specials <laughs> Tell you that. Just... Maybe we can do a clip show of our Christmas specials <laughs> and run it as a Christmas special. Kill two birds with one stone, damn it. Yep. But this this is the podcast that you have been waiting for all year as you trim your tree or trim your bush or whatever you might be doing. This is this is our Christmas food special and our topic today is holiday dishes, holiday traditions. Christmas meals, past, present, future, whatever you might want to call it. And uh, I thought it was a great topic because uh, gather around, children, because I'm sure that you have plenty of stories to tell about Christmas's past, present, and future. And what does the uh, the Christmas meal mean to you? Who me? Yeah, you. Have you had any? Uh, when you when you think Christmas, has, has there been spectacular Christmas meals in your past? There, there. Well, there was. I mean, Christmas um, was Christmas dinner. Probably, I think by the time we were eating Christmas dinner, it was maybe like two o'clock. So it was it was not dinner. It was it was lunch. It was like an extended from lunch to dinner at my grandmother's house. And uh, you know, you get we get there at like yeah ten in the morning or something like that to open Christmas presents. This is Christmas Day, right? Were you one of the Christmas people, Day? Yeah. You weren't the family that opened everything up on Christmas Eve. No, I don't even think we did the like you can open one present on Christmas Eve thing. I think actually, I seem to remember my sister and I having the offer of that, and then like being like, "No, that's okay. <laughs> we'll we'll wait." Which is insane, but I think that's what happened. Yeah, I think we we've had a few Christmases when I was growing up where we just got overexcited and just you know blew our load and opened up everything Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day, it was like oh man. No, we had to we we packed up. All, I I think we'd you know you know what we'd do we'd open a, a present at home in the morning and then we'd haul all the other presents over to my grandparents' house. And then everybody, you know, then there was the passing out, passing out of the presents and like we'd go in a circle and unwrap them and then uh, and then the feeding would begin. And during the course of my day, the day, you know, my grandmother would have the, the um, various breads, loaf breads, you know, the date loaf breads and stuff like that. All I'll just sort of laid out to snack upon and lots of black olives and um, and bread and butter, and that would be just sort of like and and nuts, nuts, you know, like walnuts and stuff. Yeah. Well, my family was the same way. Um, when I when I think every time I think about Christmas, um, Christmas feasts or Christmas food, I always think of uh, Dickens' A Christmas Carol, and when Scrooge meets the ghost of Christmas Present. Every incarnation, I think, that I've seen of that, you know, uh, Scrooge will open the door and all of a sudden there's the ghost of Christmas present surrounded by all of this food. And and I'll just read a quick quote from that scene because it's one of my favorites. Uh, this room is one of Scrooge's own rooms, but in the night 
has been transformed to a place of warmth and clarity. Garlands adorned the walls, plenty of food are heaped up on the floor, and light fills the room. As Scrooge looks in, the ghost greets him by saying, Come in, and know me better, man! Which always kind of creeped me out, because uh, he looked kind of creepy. You figure he would say something like, Get down here and put thou head under my cloak. Sucketh thy cock or something. It always kind of freaked me out. But there was mounds and mounds of food everywhere. Not that we had that. Miss Carol, are you watching, yes. Dario? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, mean, you mean he didn't have, like, he didn't open up his, his cloak and there was a big dong down there? I do not remember any spirit cock in, in Jesus. Christmas Carol. Maybe I was watching the wrong one. <laughs> or, or the right one. Oh, God. No, I, I always thought they said, come in, partake of my penis. No, maybe I... Well, you lived on the West Coast or the East Coast. You lived in California yeah. or New York City, so that you were out in California at this time, right? Yeah, yeah, I was. They might have had different versions yeah. than we had on the East Coast here. It definitely wasn't the Muppet Christmas Carol. But, but uh, you know, as far as Christmas feasts go, for the most part, we, as, as an early country, we got... Our traditions were primarily what we brought over from England, which was the puddings and and uh, all of that type of food that the British had. But I was what I was always fascinated with was was the Christmas goose. Now we don't eat goose anymore. At, for the a lot of in this country we don't we don't do goose. And there's a lot of a lot of speculation as to why we don't eat goose and we did the transition to turkey some people actually say that it was dickens that goose was associated with you know bob cratchit and poverty but i don't believe that shit i think the real reason that we don't do goose as a country anymore is because it's just not that great i've actually bought a goose. is it greasy yes i bought a goose before and uh i i have cooked it and it is very, 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 very greasy. Now it's all dark meat, okay? But it's you'd have to get a huge fucking goose, like the Bob Cratchit goose, you know, to feed a lot of people. But even even some of the the uh, the well, well, aren't it's, most it's, of the gooses um, basically like <laughs> the, the what what oh, aren't they like foie gras victims anyway? So they're they should all be like. Ginormous. Well, the 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 Christmas goose that I got. This is horrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fogra is a horrifying thing, but it, damn, it's good. But yeah, you know, I mean, you shove food down my gullet. I guess I would taste pretty good too. But the goose is it's greasy, uh, and and it it's not a lot of meat on it. The breast is is basically the main show. You you can eat. The legs and there are there's no thighs. There, of course, they do have thighs, or they'd be flopping around. But there's not a lot of thigh meat, and uh, and it's just not that great. So when when the turkey was the turkey is is you know from the New World when they discovered the turkey, they were so plentiful in the colonies that that people started to eat wild turkey, and then later on we bred turkeys uh mainly for their meat you know they're stupid animals but uh yeah you could just come up to them with a weed, weed whacker and yeah. get their 
knock their head off. They're easy. But long ago, you know, the goose was the centerpiece of any uh, feast in the Middle Ages, especially around uh, holiday time. But the funny thing about geese is, is domestic geese, they taste better two times a year. In the early summer and then toward the end of the year, which which is around Christmas time. And that's when they're fattest. And uh, that's when they tasted the best. They're all dark meat. And they, it tastes good, but I just couldn't get by. I couldn't get by the grease, man. You know, so so we've switched over to turkey. And, and goose is expensive. It is really, really expensive. Um, right? If you were to buy a goose right now, it'll run you about eighteen dollars a pound. Oh, jeez. And I bought a turkey the other day. I bought twenty-five bucks worth of groceries, and the turkey cost. 39 cents a pound when you bought $25 worth of groceries. So I bought this huge turkey for about nine bucks, you know? So you can't go wrong with it. I, and I did, I always wanted to have a Christmas goose, and I did it about six years ago. And, um, and uh, yeah, I had it. it. It's always kind of a weird holiday, food wise, Christmas for me, because, you know, you've had turkey at Thanksgiving, and ham I associate with Easter. So, hmm. what do you what do you serve? We had turkey and ham. Yep. At Christmas and turkey at Thanksgiving. And turkey at Thanksgiving. Yeah, we always threw a ham in there for uh, for Christmas. And when I cook my ham, a friend of mine told me that to cook it in a one of those uh, plastic bags that you can that you can put in the oven. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I always I made a glaze with Coca-Cola, brown sugar, honey, uh, some maraschino cherry juice, and a little bit of pineapple juice and some cloves, and you just tie the ham up, throw it in the oven in that uh, baking bag, plastic bag, and man, it was the best ham, and I do it like that every year now. Last year we got together and we did a turducken which uh was was a lot of fun to do a lot of work and yeah you know what a turducken mm -hmm. uh, it was a, it is just we i youtube videos i learned how to butterfly the turkey take all the bones out of the turkey except the legs butterfly a duck breast uh the whole duck take the bones out and a chicken you do the same thing with a chicken and you make three times three types of dressing and you open up that turkey, you put a layer of dressing in there or stuffing, depending on what part of the country you're called, you're from, and then you throw the the duck, another type of dressing, or and then you put the chicken in there and you sew the whole thing back up with skewers and looks like some type of mad doctor Frankenstein experiment. But I really enjoyed it. My wife thought it was a little weird, but everyone that was here had a good time with it. And I think I might do it again. Uh, this year, uh, we have a celebration that we call Thanksmas here in the alley, which is a combination of Christmas and Thanksgiving, and we always have it around January. So, but yeah, my, my earliest memories of of Christmas food was the purple turkey that my mom used to make. She would marinate a turkey in red wine for a week in the refrigerator, and when you would take it out to bake it, the turkey was purple and 
it was just the weirdest thing to see. Now, when it cooked up, it cooked up regular. It looked like a normal turkey, but it had a great, great taste from that red wine and garlic that my mom used to marinate it in. Because the Portuguese, we marinate everything in red wine and garlic. And when they got here, they couldn't help but throw the turkey in there. I tried to make it here one year, but it was too weird for my wife, and she couldn't handle it. <laughs> she couldn't handle the purple turkey. So I never made it again, but I do miss that, and I wouldn't... It's only temporarily purple. Yeah, it's only temporarily purple, but man, it tasted great. It was great. Now, any desserts that that you... uh, Were you guys a big dessert family? There there was always... The dessert was always the same. There was an apple pie, there was a rhubarb pie, and a pumpkin pie, and then vanilla ice cream. For, for the pies and uh, my grandfather was always my grandfather only did it around it, it was it was his job it was his only cooking job on uh, on Thanksgiving and Christmas is he would make the whipped cream for the uh, for the pies to put on top of the pies and he had a special tin can that he would get out and he would make the whip he, he had you know the the electric beaters, yeah. and he would use them inside this tin can and make. Uh, it was awesome, awesome whipped cream because he went a little crazy with the sugar, so it was like a little crunchy. Oh, that's that's that good. So everybody would have everybody would usually have like one thin piece of each pie, you know, for dessert and ice cream, and the apple pie was usually hot. Yeah, my gra- my grandmother was the only rhubarb pie that I liked. Now, was my this grandmother's rhubarb pie? A strawberry rhubarb pie or just a rhubarb pie? I've I've had strawberry rhubarb pie and I like it too, but it was just rhubarb and I something about I've never had rhubarb pie that's had the same flavor as my grandmother's. I've never had straight rhubarb pie. I've just had strawberry rhubarb pie, which I like a lot. But I wonder what a straight rhubarb pie. Now rhubarb is is on the sour side, isn't it? Yes, it, it it would be like rhubarb. Like when we lived on a farm, and when I lived down the street from a farm, rhubarb just sort of they would plant it along the edges of the of fences around the house. Yeah, and they would just and it and it looks like celery with big giant uh, leafy leaves it's, you know it's kind of red isn't it or pink it is it's yeah. red pur- red purplish and green and as it gets riper it gets redder and it's it's like a it's like a really sour it's it's basically it's shaped like a celery it's it's shaped like a red cell you know when you when you pull the leaves off it because you don't eat the leaves I think the leaves might be yeah. like really they're bad for you. They're bad for you. I, I think that there's something. But yeah, no. Nah. And uh, and it's uh, and as it gets riper, it gets it gets sweeter. But it doesn't get. It never gets like truly like sweet. It's always like kind of sour and bitter. But it would be like it would be like a sort of sour, almost like a super sour version of maybe palm fruit. You know mm. the P O M stuff. That that super red, super fruit like cranberryish sort yeah. of tartness, but like way tarter than cran. Well, maybe comparable to a raw cranberry, and uh, and the basically the same texture as celery too. Very very fibrous. So you have to kind of 
do that cutting and maybe peel it back like you do if you want to. She, you, you had to peel for the pie. It was like, um, I never saw her making the rhubarb pie, but I'm sure you had to peel the, the skin off it and cook the hell out of it, you know? Yeah. She probably had to cook the hell out of it and then, like, were there, somehow remove all the fiber from it. Were there still pieces of rhubarb, or was it more like a gel? No, it was, it, it was, it had, um, it had consistency to it. It was maybe, it was very much sort of like her, um, like the strawberry jam. She, when she made stra homemade strawberry jam, it was like whole slices of strawberries in there. You know, it was big chunks of it. So it was sort of, I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of pectin in the pie. So it was probably like, uh, it wasn't very jelly-like. It was, mm -hmm. it was, um, yeah, it, it was, it was almost similar in texture to an apple pie. Okay. Did, uh, did any, did she make her own pie crust? Yep. Oh, and did anyone get the recipes for these, for these wonderful dishes or have... My grandmother did not write down any recipes. I encourage everybody out there listening to this, while you can, if you have the chance, even watch your, your relatives cook, write it down, get these recipes because they'll be lost. Uh, my aunt, she's 99 years old, and I made, when I go back and visit her, I made a priority that I would ask her about all the recipes of the stuff that I loved to eat when I was a kid. And I have a book. I don't know if, you, if you, I showed it to you when you were here, but but I have this book that I have all of her recipes down in there. In, Is it that scrapbook yeah, book? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, I have seen that, that book. big old scrappy looking one. All of her recipes are in there, including her recipe for um, pie crust, which, you, you know, you when you make a pie crust, you... It's usually cold butter cut into flour. Uh, you can mash it with a fork, you know, or use a uh, a, uh, a blender, you know, to, to get it to that pea size and add cold water, okay, to it to form your dough in your food processor. But my aunt would not use water. Do you know what she used? What? Vodka. Okay. And but, huh? And the thing about it is, vodka when it cooks, it's alcohol, so it totally evaporates. Okay. Yeah. Leaving, oh. leaving the flakiest crust that you have ever had in your life. Oh, it's probably like a phyllo crust. Like yeah. it's probably like a rich phyllo crust. I make a. I don't. My wife is a big. She's from Michigan. They're big pie people out there, and uh, and. And, you know, when I make a pie, which I don't make a pie too often, I love pies, but I like other people making pies more than I like, but I always do this. I, you guys, there, there's recipes out there on the interwebs. You can look up a pie crust with vodka. They're out there. If you make pies, it'd be worth your while to look up the vodka pie crust recipe. You can find it. And you will never have a better pie crust than when you add vodka. And plus, you can take a couple of swigs when you're making the pie, which is great. And and it's it's funny. Christmas edition. Yeah, for ho for holidays, desserts, it's pie, man. It's all about pie. Uh, for me. Well, and cook <coughs> pardon, <coughs> cookies and cookies. Yes, always cookies. And cookies and uh, I have one cookie recipe. Which, which is yeah, I I said the cookies uh, to you uh, last year, and uh, yeah, I get I 
I spend a week or so and I make the cookies that were the recipe was given to a friend of mine that I used to work with at the grocery store and there was a girl that used to come in and she was in love with this guy his name was uh, Babbitt his last name was Babbitt I don't remember his first name but uh, she would come in and she was in love with this guy Babbitt and all women are beautiful. Okay, let's get that out right now. All women have something beautiful about them. This woman, she was she was so nice, but she wasn't the most attractive woman in the world. I feel bad saying that. So, and Babbitt was an asshole. He would just talk to her because he just wanted the cookies. And he actually called nicknamed her the Cookie Monster, which is terrible. Oh Jesus. Oh, it's terrible, but he would talk to her just to get these cookies, and she would bring the cookies in and give him plates full of cookies. And I said, God damn it, you gotta go out with her because you gotta keep getting the cookies. And one day the, co- the cookies just stopped. And I said, what the fuck happened to the cookies? How come I, oh yeah, I told you that I wasn't interested in there. I said, you asshole. And she still shopped at the store. And I gingerly one day went up to her and I asked her, hey, I think her name was Barbara, but it, she was forever the cookie monster. And I said, hey, could you think I can get that recipe for those cookies? And damn it if she didn't give me the recipe. But I still remember her words. Just don't give it to that asshole you work with. <laughs> so, and I had the recipe ever since. And that's the only cookie I make. I've tried to make other ones. But I make that cookie. And uh, and and she made them. As- you should have you just added salt Peter to the recipe and then give it to him. <laughs> To his mouth with, <laughs> well, you know that they're, they're huge. They're they're. I do know. I I ate one last year and it was it was amazing. Yeah, it was, I, it was like the best qualities of a whole like your thick oatmeal style cookies, but also with chocolate chip cookie going on. It was yeah. just like all cook like it was like the Shazam of cookies and. My wife is always saying, man, you make those cookies too big. And I said, this is no. the way the cookie monster made them. And this is the way that I'm going to make them. Because one cookie is a meal. I mean, they're not huge. I mean, they're, you know, they're they're bigger than your normal size cookie. I'm not even sure. No, they're big enough, though, so they have a big, thick center that's and soft. It's soft, yeah. And, and then you have the edges that have some crunch to them, so it's... And I, yeah, and I also, you get a little the best of both worlds. I also mailed them to you, um, shrink wrapped with a piece with of a bread. piece of bread, <laughs> which is another secret that my aunt taught me. I can imagine you open. I sent one for you and one for your roommate, and I can imagine you opening that and seeing a piece of bread and a cookie. It looked like a sandwich, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> a cookie sandwich. That's great. I, well, it didn't. I, you couldn't tell it was a cookie at first. It could have been a big piece of meatloaf or something, and I was just like. <laughs> All right, I trust Dario on the. Oh, it's a co- okay. It's a cookie because my mother, my mother and my grandmother used to do that too. Would keep a, a piece of bread in the crackers, bag with the crackers cookies and salt. I used to go to restaurants and sometimes there would be some rice in the salt shaker yep. or some crackers somewhere. To, and it really does work if you want something to stay uh, fresh. And you're going to mail cookies to somebody this year. Uh, make sure that you put a piece of bread. I would I would recommend. Well, shit. You know, the the gizmo that I have, it sucks the air out of the stuff. I don't really use it much. It's supposed to free, take your meat and suck the air out of it, and it keeps it fresh. But I don't do that. I only use it when I make baked goods. 
but but uh, it does keep everything fresh. And the piece of bread. Always mail your cookies with a piece of bread in there because that'll keep your cookies nice and fresh for the holiday season. But yeah, it's uh, it, it is that time of year, man. And uh, I, I I've always just loved Christmas. I've got great memories of the. We don't have, you know, I'm here in New York now, and the rest of my family's on the West Coast. But uh, and. They don't get together like they used to, but we used to have spectacular parties. Christmas Eve was our thing. We would have 40, 50 people at my parents' house. And there would be, every year was a different thing. It'd be crab. My mom would start cooking a week before just to have all of these, these appetizers and everything. And man, you would leave there so full. It was just, you know. These not you you could just go to bed lucky you oh yeah well you know my mom was one of these people that the kitchen had to be clean before she would go to bed i would go to bed but she would not go to bed until everything was cleaned and put away uh and that's just the way she was but it was great food i i, I wish i had a time machine i would take you back so that you can taste all of this stuff that that we used to make and for me you've met my friend lee uh, yes, him and I are the only people that eat this, and it's probably going to disgust a lot of listeners. But we always make pig's feet for Christmas. Okay, it's no, I don't know. There's well, it's good. Uh, pig, yeah, yeah. It, I don't know it, if you know. As you go back in time, pig's feet might have been more of a yeah something more an, people would eat. But yeah, it's an acquired taste. But if you go up, if you go and buy a pig's foot at a butcher, you can actually get. A piece, a cut that's more of a shank. Okay, it'll go up. So you have the foot, and then you get some meat pieces. And we always would boil these until they were done, and then stir a little olive oil in there, some crushed garlic, cilantro, lemon pepper, a little bit of vinegar, uh, and just stir it up. And man, they were so good. And the people that loved it, they would love it. The people that didn't love it, they would just look at it and go, ugh. But I always did. I have you respect someone that tried something, and anyone that tried the pig's foot more, maybe not the the whole hoof or whatever. You go up to the part that's meat. They loved it. It was delicious. Oh, I'm sure it was tender as hell. Oh yeah, because we used to put it in a pressure cooker, and yeah, we would cook the hell out of it, and it was absolutely delicious. And I still I used to blend a jalapeno in there too, just a little bit, because Lee's kind of a puss and he can't do any hot stuff. Right. But but. Yeah, let's just see. That's something. That's something I would eat because I'm not. I'm not squeamish. It's basically I know that there's not going to be anything like gross on the hoof. It's cleaned and it's going to be cooked. Totally clean. I mean, do you like cilantro? I love cilantro. You know, there, there are. There's a majority of people out there, and this is a genetic thing that when they eat cilantro, it tastes like soap. Yep, we were talking about this at work the other day. There's a couple people there who love it, and a couple people who hate it. And this is—I just read an article about it when I was uh, at my in-laws' house. My father-in-law is one of the people that he—it tastes like soap to him. And I said, "Look, you can muscle through it," because that was me. I, I the first time I like tried cilantro i'm like why would you put this in food did it have a soapy taste to you oh it tasted like it tasted it tasted like some sort of hellish mixture of soap and grass clippings from the lawn to me you have that genetic makeup 
Not, well, and, and I can still sort of, like, if I took, like, a bunch of cilantro and chewed it up, I could still taste that. But it's not like that. You know, I don't know if it was from just eating so much of it when I worked at that Mexican place and getting and having to cook with it and taste it. But, you know, I'm, I'm to the point where, I mean, I love it. I cannot get enough of it. I love those banh mi sandwiches where they uh, stuff uh, whole stems of it in there. Gosh. So you can you can get past it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but not my father-in-law. I've got to make salsa. I take a little bit out for him before I put the... Uh, before you put the sal- cilantro in? Yeah, the cilantro in. It's just the way it is. With, But, you know, with, with, with holiday food, man, it is... It is you know, I'm a sucker for the holidays, and uh, and just my my favorite time of year. And not only is it my favorite time of year, but surprise, surprise, I did a little research, and I it's time for the George Leonard Herder Corner from Herder's Waska, Minnesota, Bull Cook and Authentic Recipes and Practices book. And I said to myself, I wonder if old George Leonard Herr has any type of holiday recipes. I'll bet you he does, and I'll bet you whatever it is, it's the best. Well, <laughs> whatever it's it is, best of anything. You know, I, I know that we throw George Leonard Herder in on as many shows as we can, and if we can get one person out there to acknowledge this guy and try and pick up one of his books, I guarantee you. That if you love food, you will love this book because it is spectacular. It's I, I, I praise him every show, but he's a wonderful bullshitter. And uh, and and I and I was looking through the book, and sure enough, I found a recipe for eggnog culvert. Now bear with me because eggnog what? Eggnog culvert. Now, I don't, okay. Do you like eggnog? I do. Yeah, eggnog is, uh, well, it's... Egg- I don't drink it very often. Oh, it's I feel, really rich. Yes, I feel very guilty when I do drink it, so I don't drink it very often. The Puerto Ricans make something called coquito, I believe. It's an eggnog made with coconut milk, which is incredible. I've had it a few I'm, times. I'm gonna, like, if I drink eggnog, I'm gonna drink, like, a Dixie Cup's worth, yeah. you know? You know, I like the idea of it. But I don't drink it that much because I just feel dirty. It, it's just so rich. But God love George Leonard Herder, who actually has a recipe for eggnog culvert. Now, he begins this by, by saying that Nero, in 60 AD, was the first to serve snow mixed with crushed fruit. He had specially trained runners to bring snow from the Alps in insulated boxes. Marco Polo learned how to make ices, and he was the first to add cream to crushed ice. Charles I of England at one time hired a Paris chef at an enormous salary who was who had developed an ice cream. He made the chef promise to make his type of ice cream just for the court. Now, ice cream as we know it was invented in France during the reign of Louis XIV. His minister in 1664 was Jean-Baptiste Colbert. Colbert publicized ice cream until it was widely available, widely used. He invented an eggnog that has never 
even ever been closely equaled. And makes a Tom and Jerry, of course. Yeah, it makes <laughs> it makes a Tom and Jerry taste poor and flat in comparison. Now I don't know much about Tom and Jerry, but I believe it was a, a drink that was made uh, back in the seventies, sixties, fifties, and you had Tom and Jerry sets. You see them at the flea markets all the time, but it, it, it was kind of like an eggnog, I believe. And here is the recipe brought up to date. It was and is the treasured possession of many a French immigrant. The recipe makes for small drinks. Now, as you know, I have everything ready here to make this recipe. All right. Now, the first thing you have to do is you have to add one cup. Uh, you know, you have to take one and a half cups of milk and two egg yolks. Okay, and mix them together. So, bear with me here. I have everything right here. Do you have the yolks all separated and everything? I got the yolks all separated here. Oh my God. here I'm going to go ahead put the yolks in there all right into my uh, my cup next you are going to I mean this is a, this recipe dates from 60 AD all right next you are going to add some milk all right so we just added the milk then two scoops of vanilla ice cream, which are already in my shaker. You're gonna add a dusting of cinnamon, which I just threw in there, and a dusting of fresh nutmeg. Now, if you guys love holiday food, I recommend going out and buying a nutmeg grater and uh -huh. your own nutmeg, because there is nothing in the world like freshly grated nutmeg. Don't buy the garbage from the grocery store. That stuff is no good. I'm grating nutmeg as we speak. Okay, so we have the nutmeg in there and now we add our rum. White or dark rum will work equally as well with this. Now I prefer dark rum, so I have a little bit of uh, Santiago de Cuba rum that uh, I uh, smuggled in from Cuba not from Cuba, but from a country that has Cuban rum. So this is actual Cuban rum. So hang on, we're going to add. Eh, adding a little more than than I should. So this, the, the, the eggs, the egg yolks are raw. And the ice cream. So now we are going to take my immersion blender. So hang on one second here. Just, uh, <laughs> hang on here. Oh my. Come on, Dave. It sounds like a sound effect from the next episode. <laughs> it very well could be. Give me one second. Here it is. Oh, Jesus. i make sure I get that egg Sounds like a goddamn waterboarding. <laughs> Talk, motherfucker. Okay. I am convinced that this is. Smells delicious. All right, let's just pour this into my traditional. Now, eggnog, egg is egg. Nog comes from the British, which was a traditional. Uh, nog was a wooden cup. 
a nog was a cup of made out of wood. So here we go. I have it in. I don't have a wooden cup, but I'm going to taste it now. Ah, oh, God damn it. This, this is good. Now, you might balk at the raw egg yolk in here, and I'll, who knows, maybe tonight I'll be balking at it too, but, but this is an excellent eggnog. It's not as sweet. Hey, maybe the rum kills anything. Yeah, yeah, it's not as sweet as you would think with all that with the, with the vanilla ice cream, but it's good. And once again, George Leonard Herter has done it. I don't know how he, he got this recipe. Eggnog, eggnog Colbert from Bullfinch and Historic Recipes and Practices. So, How does he get any of his I recipes? I don't know. From history. From history. But God damn it, this is good stuff. And uh, in closing, I, I kind of wanted to ask you, since you said that your grandmother uh, didn't, you know, didn't cook from recipes, if you could go back in the way back time machine and you could have anything that you remember your grandmother making from your childhood, what would it be? Well, I mean, there's two things battling for that right now. And, and, and oh. what would probably win would be lasagna. Her lasagna was lasagna. spectacular. Um, but there was also this dessert she made that was made of graham crackers, the sort of cream filling um, layers of, of like chocolate, chocolate sort of syrupy layers that was unbelievably ambrosia of the gods like it was just this thin sort of pudding chocolate graham cracker thing that with whole graham crackers it would just it, soak up the like, like vanilla pudding graham cracker lasagna almost one layer of yeah yeah they like both were types of layer. lasagna yes yeah. <laughs> it was like dinner lasagna and dessert lasagna like but i would take the dinner lasagna probably over the dessert lasagna yeah uh, yeah for me if i could do it i would go back to my grandmother's rice pudding uh, oh. Portuguese, we were big on rice pudding. Now, some parts of Portugal add egg yolks to the white to the rice pudding. We didn't. From the northern part, we made rice pudding. And this is the one recipe I have never been able to master. I have it, but it's always been tricky to me. But my oh, I make I, oh your your grandmother's yeah. specific rice pudding because I've made rice pudding before. I'm pretty good at the rice she pudding. She could make it. It was always, I can't tell you, but you had to have a touch for it, and we would pour it on a platter, so it wasn't in a big deep dish. It was always in a rather thin platter that you would pour it out on, and then with with uh, cinnamon, you would drop the cinnamon on top of it and make little etchings, little designs. And if I could go back and have anything just one more time i would like to have my grandmother's rice pudding because i would never i'm never able to uh to duplicate that recipe but that's what the holidays are all about they're about memories and uh making new memories i hope and i hope that uh everyone out there has a great christmas uh christmas meals and is uh with their family and friends 
And as I, uh, did you notice those two guys over there in the green room? Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, it looks like they've got something up their ass. They're... They look. They look like salesmen. They've got those like sample boxes next to them, but I don't think they're fuller brush salesmen. No, I don't think they're fuller brush salesmen. One of them's bent over. Kind of... They're fuller something. Something. They're full of something. So, <laughs> so with that, uh, God bless us, everyone. Uh, great, Tiny Tim. <laughs> we'll be right back. Tim, but all right, Tiny Tim works. <laughs> Blow up dolls, Benoit balls, dildos by the foot. Pokes and squeals and torture wheels ring out on Christmas Day. Hey, it's the annual Xmas sale at Clawhammer's Adult Party Emporium. Throw some jingle on your bells with these great bargains. Mistletoe belt buckle, five bucks. Blow up Frosty with four functional snow holes. Ladies, take a wild sleigh ride on our combination mechanical bull and Sibian. Ho ho, hold on. We got Holiday Glitter Lube by the gallon. And on video, volumes 1 through 20 of Elves Gone Wild. And for you adventurous types, it's half price on our cosplay dungeon, where Santa Claus, Mistress Claus, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Pain Deer will flog you into the holiday spirit. With the elf on the shelf, just watching. So come on down and get those decorations up. And shake some packages, if you know what I mean. We got the Boy Scouts out front selling trees. Do all your holiday shopping at once. What are you waiting for? Welcome to Beat It, a podcast about porn and sexy porny stuff. And in the Christmas spirit, we've talked about food. What else is the great thing about Christmas is getting your toys. And we're talking about toys. I am Ebenezer Screw, and I am here with Fal Us, renowned sex historian. Take the whole thing, baby. Take the whole thing! Ah, I see you've got uh, Dr. Phallus's renowned um, cure for hysteria. Yes, 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 yes. I travel the country with my briefcase in hand, and uh, it's like the Tupperware party, but filthy. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, you know, for for our holiday special... Everyone loves gifts, so we thought that we would do toys. However, not your defunct Toys R Us toys, but adult toys. So uh, that's what our topic is going to be. And 
let me hear you. I'm sure that you can probably lead us into this conversation. I just, I just know that you can. So, uh, what, what's your take on on adult toys? I mean, have you ever come across any interesting things in your flea market finds or or uh, digging around basements or anything like that? Oh, for, at, at garage sale, every once in a while, garage sales mostly at antique shops. I've run into the old school vibrators. Yes. Literally vibrators. They're you know not phallic shaped things. They were almost like a like a handled object with a almost flat curved you know sort of thing. And they were they were not sold for any kind of sexual or masturbatory means. No, they were to, just... to women to to help as muscle massagers. Yep. yep. They just never specified exactly which muscles they would massage and. They would perfectly. They were perfectly good for massaging muscles in your neck and and legs and arms and back, but there were also other muscles that could that could relax certain, you know, feminine hysteria um, areas and perhaps calm the savage beast. Yeah, exactly. And and they in and they always sell. Whenever I come across these things, they're usually uh, chrome. You know they, they 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 look nice, and you're right. They're packaged as massagers, but that's not really. You know, I'm sure that it probably felt good on your shoulders, but you know, they felt great other places, and and that brings us to sex toys. Uh, they have always been around. We are people think. Uh, you know the the adult store has gone mainstream. Throughout history, there has always been. I mean, we you know, we're creatures with holes, and you know what? We're gonna shove something up our fucking ass, or we're gonna shove something in any hole we can. Mm-hmm. And how do you think people b- before, like, let, let's go back to a time before the internet, uh, before you know this stuff became mainstream? How do you think people got their their sex toys? Um, through the mail across state lines, <laughs> or in a darkened in the uh, in a darkened back room. Yeah, through in a darkened back room is a good way to put it. Uh, now, when you said that, when you talk, and then they take it home and put it in the darkened back room. Darkened back room. When you talk about uh, vibrators and you talk about uh, massagers, I I have to bring up Dell Williams. Um, Dell Williams, she. In 1974, she went into a department store, and she was humili- uh, humiliated by a department store clerk when she tried to buy a vibrator, okay? Uh, now, I don't know. I assume that it might have been one of the ones we're talking about. And she started a company called Eve's Garden. And she she died at – she's no longer with us. She died at 92, but she started this company uh, from her home in Manhattan. And not only was she – uh, a spokesman for women's liberation, uh, sexuality, and sexual health, but she sold products through the mail and through catalogs that that women wanted, you know. And and around that time, the stigma of these items started to disappear. I recently at a flea market, I found a box of it was a vibrator 
still in a box, probably around 1970-ish. Wow. Yeah, and I sent you a picture of it, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went back and forth with the guy, who's a Nigerian guy that I like to buy things from because he loves the art of the deal. And you go back and forth, and you go back and forth with the price, and I said, look, you don't want this around here. Come on. Sell it to me for what. So he did. And it was made by uh, Doc Williams, who was another guy uh, who started a company, and you know he lent his name to to sexual toys, and eventually, all of these companies, the biggest retailer of sexual toys is uh, Adam and Eve, and they're still around. And the company is the biggest mail order distributor of condoms, sex toys, and erotica in the United States, and it was founded by a guy named Phil Harvey, who called himself. Uh, who was one of the most influential figures in the American sex industry. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's easy for us to, to, to think and get anything that we want now, but it must have been really hard back 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago to find these things. If they yeah, I was just reading about Phil Harvey. I just read a whole section about phil harvey in this book called reefer madness about black market and you know sort of shady money make not money making but markets in america you know it was like the it was like marijuana the um sex uh toys and the sex industry and um oh what was what was the third thing oh it was it was um mike like um you know migrant workers hell of a combination <laughs> but yeah they were talking lee harvey was like was started out trying to do a good deed and just ended up like finding out that it was very lucrative exactly. to provide that service <laughs> uh both uh lee, uh lee harvey and dell williams started off doing good deeds and they found out that hey there is a market for this stuff and a lot of my co-workers that i fly with uh, they all travel with vibrators. I mean, and they're not—they're not shy about it. I mean, we've—they've uh, we, had them go off in their suitcases before on the plane, and and someone will call and say, "There's something noise coming up from, a, from the overhand fan," and and they'll go, "Oh, that's just me," and go in there and turn off their King Dong or whatever they—they uh, they have that, that went off by accident. But this is a lucrative market that has been around forever. Don't. Don't think that this is something, you know, nor- that it's just started recently. I mean, as long as there have been people, there have been sex toys. That is true. There is a pale- Paleolithic stone dildo that has been discovered by archaeologists. And they're still finding them. You know, maybe some guy, well, this was used to grind corn. And they found a few in dinosaurs, and they're trying to figure that out right now. <laughs> this was used to grind corn. Hell no, this was used to pound up your ass. If you have, if you have a hole, people are gonna, people are going to, to, to satisfy themselves. You know that, and and that's that's just the way it is. Fifty-four, fifty-three percent of women uh, admit to having or using a sex toy or it's slightly less for do you wonder if more of them these days have caught on that they should that even if they don't use them they should say they use them just to keep men on their toes yeah yeah you know i I, i've researched some of these things and uh and i can't compete 
Yeah. It's hard to compete with Energizer, huh? No, you cannot compete with the stuff out there on the market, and there is a lot of stuff out there. Uh, according to Amazon, uh, you can buy all this stuff, and you can go to the Tutu Freak site and uh, order it if you'd like. It's still enough time to put it in your Christmas stocking for your loved one. Now, the the best seller, and I and I know this for a fact because this is actually what a lot of my friends at work use. It's the Rabbit Vibrator, and it has a little bunny ear for the clitoris, and it's it's an incredible looking thing. It's actually kind of scary. A lot of these are kind of scary. Uh, vibrators are the top selling sex toy uh, on Amazon, but don't think that there isn't anything for men either. There. There is the vibrating male masturbation cup, the pocket puss, you know, and they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Oh, what are they called now? They have a the the flashlight. They're flashlights now. Ah, flashlights, flashlights. And <laughs> there was a time period in the early days of podcasting mm -hmm. where the big, you know, the very popular podcasters, like Joe, say Joe Rogan. And, and guys like that, usually guys who were comedians who had a, you know, had built a career and then went into podcasting uh, uh, on a very wise move by Fleshlight, they would, you know, buy advertising time on these comedian shows. And of course, they're going to send them a, a Fleshlight because any male comedian worth their salt is going to try the Fleshlight and report on the show, you know, about because comedians they can't help themselves, yeah. you know, that in either way they can't help themselves with the flashlight and then they can't help telling you about it. So there was this time period where if you listen to any of the large comedian, large comedians, the the popular comedian podcasts, you would have to hear a humiliating story about how they were like. You know, it will always preface by like, hey, these guys are my sponsors. I felt that, that I should, they sent me one. I felt I should, you know, I was drunk, okay. You know, and the, it, every podcast you just heard it. And I think that sort of brought Fleshlight into the public, <laughs> public consciousness as just sort of the, the term for the, the pocket pussy. Pocket pussy's back in our day, Dario. <laughs> The pocket pal. The pocket pussy was a sock with a fucking little bit of Vaseline in it or some lube in it. That, that's what the pocket puss was. That's the prison pussy. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I've never, never tried, but you know what? I, I, I wouldn't put it past. You know, sometimes you, you, you're sitting in a hotel room and you're feeling. I wouldn't put it past me. <laughs> well, I wouldn't put it past me if someone, if you're out there listening and you can, Adam and Eve, you want to send us a pocket puss or anything like that, please do because you know we, I'll, 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 I'll let you know what it's like. I think it'd be good. It, it couldn't bitch at you. Could never be tired. It wouldn't steal the sheets. It, uh, you're not gonna get sick, and it won't make you a sandwich. But you know what the hell, I, the, the one I'm looking at here looks kind of inviting. It really. <laughs> you see, I and 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 being being a podcaster who does a show about porn and sexual things, I'm not very like I've never really like been like um, let's have sex with sex toys. Yeah, and no. maybe it was a time period that I was having the most sex of my life in during was not 
one where like but it's never been like I don't know that's just I I like I've never or maybe my partners or whatever but it's just never been an, an ingredient or anything that I've been really like curious and curious you know I'm just sort of like indifferent if I was with somebody who was like hey I have some sex toys I'd be like all right I'll try them out I like toys no problem. but it's never been a, like a fascination with me yet why do I have so many stories <laughs> well, you're right I wouldn't have a problem with the toys I would say well that's cool but do you have maybe a Boba Fett or something <laughs> exactly <laughs> is it still mitt in box the mitt in box I mean I could rather play with that but you know i'm sure that you have stories and i, and I know that you're going to touch on uh some of the items that i'm going to uh throw your way right now and we're going to go through some of the most popular toys that are out there on the market one of them is the blow-up doll which started believe it or not in 1904 and they date back as far as the 17th century, when French sailors devised the Dame, the Dame de, the Dame de Voyage, a collection of curvaceous rags that they <laughs> rags that could only ever resemble a woman to a homesick Frenchman. But it wasn't until vulcanized rubber was invented that uh, we could actually make blow-up dolls, and and you can get blow-up dolls now, uh, resembling uh, people that you know, living or dead, which is kind of creepy, but you can send people comp uh, pictures of your loved ones, and you can get a doll that would match that girl that wouldn't go out with you. <laughs> Oh, you're, you're dead. Or you can go to the, the the final destination creepy extreme of blow-up dolls, which is the real doll. Yeah. <laughs> God. I, now, I know that in your travels and your your uh, flea marketing that you've probably come across more than one or two blow-up Well, the blow-up doll story. <laughs> do, you, do you have one? Yes. Well, okay. Gather around, children. She was named the Greek girl. Huh. Okay. And uh, back in college, I, I had two roommates, my, um, one of whom you've met, Mike Cross. Oh, yeah, Mike. Great guy. And actually, by the time, by the time people hear this recording, two weeks from now, I will, be, I will be performing the wedding ceremony of Mike Cross and his lovely bride, <laughs> Gisela. More stories on that later, yeah, I'm sure. I can't wait to meet him. But anyway, every we, we all lived in a, an apartment together. We had a, a three bedroom apartment together. It was in um, it was there, it was sort of like a housing housing complex, um, sort of a, it was a two story little apartment. And every two weeks, we would throw keg parties and have a band in our living room. And um, you know, we had we had a group of friends, including these these. This group of there was this one girl, but she she would be joined often by her friends, high school friends from New Jersey, and they were girls from New Jersey. Is all I, I'm gonna say. They they were the Jersey girls, and they were sick fucks. They had a sick sick crude sense of humor. They could drink more than most guys, and they they were they were they they were vicious. 
in the, in their humor, and uh, they decided that that Mike Cross was known. Mike Cross had the curse of being a <laughs> the 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 guy who usually bought the beer, the second round of beer, but. B, he had the curse of always having a Saturday sh- work shift uh. that ended at nine or so. So he w- and then he would have to catch a bus back to the apartment. By that time, the, the party would be going in full swing, so he would have to drink to catch up. Yeah, catch so, up. So often, by the end of the night, he might be the drunkest of all of us in that attempt at in that you know making up lost time. But he's a good drunk. He's a smiley, a smiley drunk. He's a happy drunk, yeah. and they and these girls were were um were hoping that he was an affectionate drunk. Now that for no reason were they did they really single out Mike for this, except for that they knew he was the one to most likely go to bed, you know, first. Okay, so they stopped at a a, a rest stop that they had seen this before. They picked up the Greek girl. Which was, you know, I mean, your standard sort of horrifying, blow up doll. The body is yeah. that sort of like two two pieces of plastic, you know. It's not a round body. It's too, it's like a it's almost like a novelty, and then you have the head, which has the you know, oh yeah, the built-in mouth, yeah, and the staring eyes and some sort of hair attached to it. But the Greek girl, when you blew her up, she was on all fours. <sighs> Okay, so she was the grief girl. So you you, you put her four on the floor. <laughs> and uh, so they blew up the Greek girl. And as Mike was down in the party mixing and they set the Greek girl up in his bed and just closed the door and were like, we'll just let nature take its course. <laughs> Which it did not. Their, their, their plan did not succeed. But the Greek girl became sort of a mascot around the house and would... Would um, would often very disturbingly there would be like at the end of parties there would be a couple guys who were like hey you know <laughs> you, you want to rent her out <laughs> yeah just, which we absolutely did not no of course she better make euros or something if you're gonna rent her out because uh, for God's sakes the the Greek girl met her des- demise after one night. When she took the party down into the main party with the band and was, like, suspended over the band and people kept splashing her with beer. <laughs> and at some point, somebody poured some beer in her, her vagina opening. <laughs> and, and, and you know, beers were being poured in her mouth and stuff. Of course. She's great. And, and so at the end of the party, she sort of got thrown behind the drum set as is want to happen. And... She ended up upstairs in my room, roommate Dan's room. Now, not like in the in the way you w- would make for a sexy, sexy story, but just sort of like you know, deflated and thrown on the floor in his room. And he like and his girlfriend like kicked her out the door, and she was just getting like kicked around the upstairs until she ended up in this like corner. And uh, so one day. I was cleaning the house for some reason. I don't know how this happened with me cleaning, but I remember I'm like, okay, the Greek girl has got to be, like, thrown in the shower or something. <laughs> and I picked up the, the Greek girl, and, like, like old days old beer is dripping out oh, of her oh, orifices. No. And I hear this sound like... <laughs> and... 
probably about a dozen just wet, slimy flies start like like climbing out of climbing out of her vajayjay, shaking off their wings and like flying away. And I was like, you know what? (laughs) Sayonara, Greek girl. Days are gone. Oh my god, that's horrible. That's a horrible Mm. story. That's just Mm -hmm. that that that, the visual picture. All right, that's the first our first item. (laughs) For for our next item, we're going to go back to the year 1892, when a young man named Frank E. Young had a vision. All right. Now, not only did he have a vision, but this vision involved things being pushed up people's rectum. Now, he developed this in 1892, but he didn't market it until the turn of the century. His rectal dilator, quote, unquote, butt plugs, was a terrifying four and a half inches of pain designed to go where the stars never shine. Now, I don't know a lot about the butt plug. I don't know what it's used for I don't know how you would get um, well the name is rectal dilator so yeah. I'm assuming it's to uh, relax and open up the rectum for something larger than the butt plug <laughs> down the line but you know what people these things to be sold during that time they had to be uh, marketed as medical devices and some people have weak buttholes and need or Maybe their buttholes are too strong, and they're like clipping off their poops. I don't know. But you, can, you can make up something. Medical devices, and uh, if you throw a couple scientific terms on it, and it's about the butthole, most people during that time probably didn't want to talk about it too long anyway. So they'd be just like, "Oh, it's a medical problem with my nether region." Oh, okay, yeah, thank you. I think it might have been something to do with maybe going to the bathroom, you're backed up, you know. Well, in 1938, they finally caught wind of this guy, and they banned, so to speak. banned him, yeah, banned him for false advertising, because because it was supposed to be, I suppose, you know, if you had trouble. Go- we're on to you and your butt plugs. We're on to you and your butt plugs, but butt plugs are still very popular now. I don't really know enough. I have to ask some of my gay friends about them. Maybe it's an S&M thing. And uh, that's the only thing that I can think of that they would be that they would be. Well, you know, I, I would just reference people to our Devil and Miss Jones commentary. Yes. There was some butt plug action in there. Butt plug action there. Uh, eight. That was in. That was that was to stretch out her butthole for Satan's dick. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so that's what that's what butt plugs are for to to get your butt ready for Satan's dick. To get to get you ready, you know. Uh, now the vibrator. We're going to talk about the vibrator. And its first incarnation was in 1869. And these are Victorian people, okay? It was a different time. Uh, Britain, you know, the sun never set. Britain ruled the world, basically. This is steampunk action going on. Robots were happening. And if a woman was hysterical, and women were were always hysterical back in those days. I mean, they, they yo, your wife is suffering from hysterics, my good man. What I recommend we do with her is masturbation. And they would recommend vibrators. And this was a cure. This was a cure for, for women. Uh, female hysteria was, re, was uh, recognized as an 
illness and the treatment involved a qualified medical professional rubbing the patient's yes. private parts until orgasm was achieved. <laughs> that's and that's the way it was. That's the way it was. You would you would it you didn't need a prescription. I can you imagine the doctor saying, Well, I think we just need to rub one out on you, honey. And uh, the electronic design came around. I mean, there was, I don't think there was a steam-powered version. There may have been, but uh, they morphed into... <laughs> I'm sure there's steampunk vi- vibrators out there. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there are steampunk vibrators out there. And But it, what cracks me up is the vibrator was originally a uh, cure for feminine hysteria, which is amazing, you know? to me but vibrators are another very popular sex toy now and now it's time for the vibrator story uh hit me i'll uh, it's funny you say that (laughs) (laughs) that's why i laugh um i'll keep this one short it's a long story involving a bachelor party and 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 deception and a neighbor complaining and turning out to be a stripper, but anyway, the stripper was at a at, at a friend's um, bachelor party and she was doing her thing. She was completely naked, and um, kind of had a sort of uh, crack thing going on. Let's say it, it just to sort of paint a visual picture of what we're we're talking about. But anyway, she was buck naked by at one point and on sitting on the lap of the the the. the the future groom and um and she pulls out the vibrator and uh starts doing doing vibrator things where it clicks it on biz, 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 it's, and then the vibrator starts going in and then there's this guy who obviously she had past history with maybe from another party somewhere or someplace where they they'd obviously run in before and neither of them were uh very happy about it at all but she was being fairly professional until she pulled it out and just and just chucked it at him and it hit his t-shirt and just sort of stuck to his t-shirt for a second and then oh. fell off and and he made some sort of sort sort of comment to it and that brought that she was just like you know what i'm done here <laughs> unless you get rid of him <laughs> and uh and uh um my friend who was who was the best man was like I can't send send this guy away and and he was like no no I'll go and like everybody else was like you you go man <laughs> you can just hear that that incredible Hulk music at the end of the show playing in the background you know as he's walking away no he wanted to be as far away from there as possible shit <laughs> oh. there was he was running away at super speed with Benny Hill music playing. <laughs> Uh, the, anyway, that's that's, that's, vibrator, the, that's the vibrator story. Now, we're going to go into uh, the year 1200 AD and look at the penis ring, which is not the same as the Prince Albert, uh, but the penis ring is used for stimulation in a woman, uh, and it what what fascinated me was this was a Chinese uh, invention. I, I think it would be more like a French tickler, 
but it's not like your Lord of the Rings, my precious deal. Okay, it didn't make you with your dick invisible or anything like that. But what it did do, it was what fascinates me was uh, hence the penis ring. It was made from the eyelids of a goat, with the eyelashes still intact. It helped the wearer get it on with the business of impregnation for hours on end, even if. The, he was secretly crying inside. Now I would love to get. <laughs> I would love to get a look at one of these. Uh, can you uh, made from the eyelids of a goat? With there's there's the, the if I, it, it's like in the Netherlands or something. There's like a sex museum that's probably got one of those. Yeah, I, I, I they're still there. Now, the next uh, item I actually have a story with uh, geisha balls. Uh, you can actually, you can actually call them. Uh, I didn't call them geisha balls. To me, they were called Jolene balls. And women insert these two balls up into their. Uh, oh, you mean Benoit balls? Yeah, I'm sorry, Benoit ball. Yeah, Jolene balls, Benoit ball. Yeah, and and they insert them up in there, and and they can walk around all day long with these little things clacking around in there, and and it is supposed to be incredibly sexually gratifying i had no idea what these things were when i i had my friend uh adam had purchased a gold chain with a huge anchor on it and a uh jesus christ was on the anchor <laughs> uh crucified and he had bought it from a guy in a parking lot and the guy told adam that it was gold so adam forked over like 60 bucks for this huge rope and uh we went over to the pawn shop and Adam was from Boston, and we walked into the pawn shop. It was kind of a pawn shop. They sold all kinds of shit. And they had a black and white TV set with some National Geographic TV show on, skipping, you know, like the old TVs used to do. And Adam took the uh, necklace out and said, look, uh, here's a necklace. I want to see how much it's worth. It's, uh, it's got uh, an anchor with our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior here. Uh, he's uh, he's uh, crucified on it. It's solid gold. What do you give me for it? And the guy uh, takes out his testing kit, you know, and he rubs a little bit on there. He goes, if I drop this drop on here and it turns green, it's fake. If it doesn't, it's real. Put the drop on there. <laughs> fake green fuzz. <laughs> Demons flying out of it. It's yeah. like, nah, this ain't real. What do you mean it's not real? It's not real. And I'm and I'm walking around, you know, and uh, and I see these two little brass balls. And I thought they were marbles or something. I'm like, yeah, those are kind of cool. And the guy goes, hey, you know what those are? I give, I'm giving him an old-timey voice. I don't remember what he sounded like, but this, you know what those are? And I said, no, what? He goes, those are Benoit balls. And I said, really? What's a Benoit ball? He goes, eh, women stick them up inside themselves. And they walk around all day long with them, clacking around. And I said, oh, shit. Yeah, they do. Are they used? No, nah, they're new. And let me show you something. He took them out of the case, and he turned them. And each Benoit ball had a little electric battery in there, and they vibrated. These are electric Benoit balls. Holy shit. I said, that's really something. He goes, you could put them up your ass if you want. I said, nah, nah, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> I could put them up your ass if you want. He said, hey, yeah, well, you know, guys can. They pound them up themselves and they turn them on in there and they, uh, and they walk around all day and they feel pretty good. But needless to say, that was my first uh, introduction to the, uh, to the Benoit ball. 
but they are have been around forever, and they're also known as orgasm balls. Which uh, and they're, they're, they're I think they're you, I think like practically they like I think there's some girls that get sexual gratification for them, but I think they're mostly for getting your Kegel muscles. Yeah, they they, they tightened up. That. You can and and uh, if you get those Kegel muscles tightened, you can do some pretty amazing stuff. Yep. Yeah, like an iron fist and a yeah. velvet glove. Now, how many issues of the Karma Sutra have you purchased at garage sales and uh, flea market? Oh, all different kinds, all yeah. All different kinds. The Karma Sutra is still one of the most popular, popular sex aids out there. Uh, I don't know how... Now it's a t-shirt, <laughs> basically. I don't know how the fuck. I had one date with one girl one time that had the Karma Sutra, and I swear to God... I, I don't know if it was called the Congress of the Cow or some weird fucking thing. And they, you needed a shoehorn to do whatever the fuck it was. But the Karma Sutra is still out there and it is still, still incredibly popular, you know? And you see them all over the place. And a, a lot of it involves, if you get into reading it, women have always wanted men's penises to be bigger. Uh, and and they're selfish. There are African tribes that require men, that the women ask men to get their penises stung by wasps. And that is actually mentioned in the Karma Sutra as one way to satisfy your partner. Get, have a bunch of, stick your cock in a box of... There, there, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of things stick mentioned Stick your in the box in a, the cock in a box of wasps. Have them... <laughs> it's, the Kama Sutra is like the Bible. People take it, pick and choose what, you know, they cherry pick what they're going, so to speak, what they're going to use out of the Kama Sutra, and I, wisely so. Certain African tribes had women insert uh, metal balls under the skin of their... Uh, husband's penises so that they can and then they would heal up over uh, the metal balls so these guys would walk around with metal balls in their dicks and and just to satisfy the women they're very selfish people for God's sakes my God but the Karma Sutra is is you know still in print and still a very popular very popular sex toy uh, the next one is lube and my God if you type in lube you will come up with thousands of things and probably a computer virus. But there are lubes that will make you hot. There are lubes that will make you cold. There are lubes that smell like grapes. There are lubes that smell like grapefruit juice. There are lubes that smell like everything. And, you know, big business. But the original lube was olive oil. And the Greeks used it in that. 350 BC. It was big business. Uh, that was the original lube, which uh, you know you could probably still use olive oil right now. Uh, use the lube and then maybe put a little vinegar on your cock. And well, I was just gonna say with a douche and you got salad dressing. Yeah, you'd have a nice, nice salad dressing. You know, so you could even throw a couple of croutons down there and you would be set. And and you had actually mentioned uh, the next thing and. Is the uh, is the dildo, which I've always liked the word dildo. It's it's just funny to say it rolls off rolls off um, my your tongue. So it is. It's I I like calling people dildos. Yeah, 
Nice going, dildo. Yeah, it's a great it's a great word. It's not to be confused with the vibrator. The sci- science of dildo is dildonics. Yeah, <laughs> dildonics. Uh, now the dildo was humanity's first durable invention. Okay, look at look at it like that. Only fire and maybe weapons, clothings, and beads seem to be they they were around a little bit longer, maybe. But they are still people are still digging up stone or wood dildos, thirteen hundred years old. You know we're still finding them out there. So so there are the oldest sex toy, and and you know it. As soon as some woman found out she could shove something up there, or some man, you know, uh, the dildo has been around. There's stone uh, dildos being dug up from the ice age, you know. And the oldest ones are actually, some of them go back to, uh, to Germany, and they date back to 26,000 years ago. So, Germans, you know, shysters. So, uh, the dildo I, is, is probably the most popular, I think, the, next to the vibrator. That's why I have more than one story. Yeah, well, I would let, let's hear the dildo story. Well, the, the first dildo story is I had a, a, a roommate who was very open about her sexuality and was naked, like, was a photographer and, like, t- like taking naked pictures. It, walking into our house, into our apartment that we lived with her, she had a picture of her with a um, sort of fisheye lens, like, with her, with, her, with her ankles behind her head, and it just had... The word "songs from the hole" written on it. So that was that was Vanessa, and for one of her photo shoots, she had bought a dildo, and and it it was the kind of dildo that was it was rubber, like a rubber dildo, and it was a dick with with like balls. It was made to go into a strap on Uh for a woman to strap on, and uh, so then it was part. It was like on a mannequin in this. The display that she had done at a club or something Best. and it ended up coming to our house and we had um, it was one of our co-workers who lived in one of the rooms in this house and he was like 18 19 years old just out of school and he was very like uptight and stuff and he was freaked out by the dildo being in the house which of course meant that we had to do stuff like oh. tie strings to the dildo and put it on the top of his door, so when he'd open his door, it would swing down and <laughs> into his face and and such and annoy the hell out of him. But uh, um, that that dildo ended up becoming a pro- when when our band would play. I had a special T-shirt that somebody had given me that had an airbrushed naked woman on it that had a hole right where like a. Uh, uh, somebody had ripped the shirt like right where her vagina was so I would just hang the dildo out of the shirt and that was my stage costume with this airbrushed really weirdly airbrushed woman with a with a large <laughs> rubber phallus hanging out of her and would use that to, to confuse and anger the crowds <laughs> that was the second the second is a legacy story. This is this is from this is one of the relics one of the relics of my father. Oh. And that is King Richard. Oh my god. King Richard, I can just imagine. Um my father went through a carving phase. <laughs> and um I am holding in my hand 
King Richard right now. How come I didn't see King Richard when I was? I cannot believe. I I am surprised I did not show you King Richard. <laughs> it's in my computer room. It is. It's gotta be. Do I have a tape measure here? <laughs> no, I don't. It's it's gotta be about 14, 15 inches long. The bottom nine to ten inches being of lifelike carved phallus, and the top looking like a chess piece. Well, it's good to be the king. And he has a he has a leather sheath. Oh, Jesus. That he's stored in, so he could be. And it even has holes in it where you could put leather straps in it, like so you could hang it like a scabbard at your side. Take it to the Renaissance Festival. And King Richard is very nicely carved. Very nicely finished. It's a little disturbing because I know my father, <laughs> and I, I, I like really uh, don't think a lot about where where Richard King Richard's been. This is this at least it's post mother. Oh, that's good. That's <laughs> this good. was when my my dad was dating twenty year old um, Lands End models and stuff. So. King Richard's had some adventures. We'll just put it that way. He must have. I can see your father knighting several women with King Richard. Exactly. I hit Knights my... of the Round Table. Jeez, I can't believe you didn't show that to me. I would have. I would have loved to have seen King Richard. You know. It's hard to decide what to thrust at people when you put them in our house. I've been there, you, <laughs> so nothing, to speak. Nothing, nothing shocks me from your from your eclectic collection. From vintage Star Wars figures unopened for 15 years to King Richard, the teakwood uh, phallus or whatever he's carved out of, but but I King Richard the pussy-hearted, <laughs> and and there you have it. Did I miss anything that that uh, that you can think of as far as the yeah, probably thousands of things. Yeah. but that's because our entire society, any kind of technology, is based on sex. We, I mean. We can have parts two, three, four, and five on sex toys. We, you know, there's 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 video game sex toys and such 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 as. How how far are we away from uh, sex bots? Well, it depends on how you define. I mean, I'm sure you could get a rigged up sex bot now, but do you mean like a sex android? Yeah. That like comes home and goes, "Hi Mario, how yeah. are you doing today?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would definitely. We're probably a little while away from there, but probably not as far as we'd like to believe. Not in my lifetime, I guess. Oh, well, I'll just have to stick with the pocket puss. Back in my day... Back in my day, I had to squeeze a sock around my picker. I had to clean my pocket pussy myself. <laughs> we didn't... Now yours goes and takes a shower. We didn't have real pushes. We had to use... Socks and pocket pusses. We'd go down to the butcher and get two nice pieces of liver. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. There you go. Uh, there. I, I. I guess on that note, we can. We can. Uh, we hope that we gave you some great gift ideas for your. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, and uh, make sure you 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 check your stocking uh, daintily. Uh, this Christmas after listening to this because you never know what you're going to get. And a happy new year. Out of all the reindeer, you know you're the mastermind.
If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of... Two true freaks. Run, run, Rudolph, I'm feeling like a merry-go-round. Run, run, Rudolph, Santa gotta make it to town. Santa make a merry town, he can take the freeway down. Run, run, Rudolph, I'm feeling like a merry-go-round. So I'm going to be staying here for a while. Uh, things are all fucked up at the North Pole. See, Mrs. Santa caught me fucking her sister, and uh, I'm out on my ass now. She got half of everything. Now, this is going to be cool. This will do fine. Ah.